Welcome to We The Kids. Hi, I'm Judy Frazier, president and founder of We The Kids. We The Kids puts God back into America's history. Listening to We The Kids radio show will inspire you and your kids to have a positive American identity, clear direction, and a powerful purpose for your life. Thank you for listening. Welcome to We The Kids Radio Show for kids from 8 to 108. I am Arch Hunter, a father, a husband, and an historian. And I'm Lydia Nuttall, a mom and executive board member for We The Kids and author of Forgotten American Stories, Celebrating America's Constitution. And later on in the show, we're going to hear from the We The Kids Liberty Players. The mission of We The Kids is to put God back into America's stories to help American kids be proud to be an American, to love and defend America's Constitution, and learn the principles of freedom that establish unprecedented freedom in our country so that they can preserve freedom in America. And that is so important. That's why we're doing this show. So we're glad you're listening. And today's forgotten American story is, what's the forgotten story behind the Star-Spangled Banner? If you remember on previous shows, we talked about the citizenship test, and both Lydia and I were asking each other questions, <laughs> and we passed, we passed, which we're glad we did. Woohoo! So one, of the questions, <laughs> one of the questions on the citizenship test is, what is the name of the national anthem? So, dun, 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 dun. That, so yeah, hopefully we all know that it's the star Spangled Banner. Hey, Arch, do you know what spangled means? Because I think I sang it when I was a kid, and I just never knew what half of these words meant. Isn't that the things that you put over your eyelids when you're going on TV? (laughs) I think spangled means to cover with sparkling objects. So if you have a star spangled banner, it means the stars, and we've got 50 of them on our flag, is covered with small 50 stars. Oh, so it's not the little flashy things you put over your eyebrows when you go on TV. <laughs> you mean sparkles? Yeah, I couldn't think of the word. They're not, it's not sparkles. Uh, I don't know. I guess I don't do that. Sorry, ladies. I'm, I don't do that. So but, I'm totally uneducated when it comes to what those are. But you, but you How said did you get to know what they are? The stars are the sparkling things on the flag. Yes? Yes, the stars are the sparkling things on the flag. And maybe they don't glitter on our flag, but that was just how Francis Scott Key, who wrote the words to our national anthem, that's what he used to describe our flag, our star-spangled banner. Lydia, what is the definition of an anthem? Well, I believe it's an uplifting song. It's a rousing song 
that helps you identify or is identified with a certain cause or a certain group or um, maybe organization. And that's really what our national anthem is. It's to arouse us up. It's to uplift us and identify us as Americans, true blue through and through Americans. And you know, Lydia, that is why back at the turn of the 20th century, one of the famous music writers, John Philip Sousa, wrote many anthems. And all of his anthems were very uplifting and upbeat. And it was a time in our country where we really needed to be uplifted. And most of what he wrote as the band director were very uplifting anthems. Oh, I love that. I love hearing that. What was his name again? John Philip Sousa. Philip Sousa. Okay. John Philip Sousa. Well, that is awesome. So did you know that there are other countries that have national anthems? I was going to ask you that, Lydia. <laughs> are we the only country that has a national anthem or? We're not. We're not. In fact, okay, so I lived in Canada for a time for about a year and a half in my early 20s. And, oh, Canada is the Canadian national anthem. And even though I'm American, I used to sing it with the Canadians. Why not? And I, I love that. Also, Germany has a national anthem. I lived in Germany. That's why I looked. Okay, what's Germany's national anthem? It's called, uh, forgive me if you speak German, any of you who are listening, uh, I might slaughter this, but it's Deutschlandlied, I think is the name of their national anthem. My son lived in Spain for a time. So I looked up, hey, do they have a national anthem? And they actually do. It's called the Marcha Real. I think that's how you pronounce it. They don't actually have official lyrics right now, but they did have official lyrics that they used to sing a form, formal lyrics that they used to have between 1897 and 1891. I'm not sure what they do now for their, what the lyrics are now for their national anthem. But yeah, there are lots of countries that have national anthems. And Lydia, I believe that a lot of people don't know, you know, this year was supposed to be an Olympic year. And unfortunately, it's been postponed till next year that whoever wins the gold medal for that particular event, they play a shortened version of the night of yeah, the yes and that is such a touching moment even if it's not the american national anthem to see someone who has won the gold medal standing on the highest podium and seeing their national flag being raised and listening to part of their national anthem it's very 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 moving to see it that. is very moving i'm glad you mentioned that because that's one of the things that i love seeing the olympics is to see those that win that gold medal and to see the emotion that is on their faces, sometimes even tears as they see their flag being raised and their national anthem being played. And I love that. Shouldn't we all love the country we belong to? Well, hopefully we should. And hopefully we're trying to motivate the kids and who listens to this program to see the wonderful privilege that we have to live in a country where we have freedom. Absolutely. Especially to love being Americans because we do have unprecedented freedom in this country, which has set the example and has enabled others to to also establish more freedom in their countries, which, which I love. I love that. May I tell you a short story, Lydia? Absolutely. Uh, for many, many years, one of my very good friends was a, an NBA, a National Basketball Association, professional basketball player that played for the uh, Los Angeles 
Angeles Lakers and the Philadelphia 76ers. And he was in the 1960 Olympic Games on the American basketball team. And wow. he was the tallest man of all the Olympians. They gave him the, the privilege of carrying the United States flag out into the arena. And he said before they went in, they, they had to bend, he had to put the flag down at, at 90 degrees because you couldn't get as high enough. And then when he came out into the arena, he raised the flag up straight up. And he said that was the greatest thrill that he ever had as a professional athlete. Wow. That that is a neat story. And I'm glad it's a true one. It's a How true tall story. was he? Do you know? Part, he was he was seven foot one. Oh my goodness. He was a very Yeah, no wonder why in order to get out of the building with the flag, I'm sure he did yeah. have to yeah. lower himself and the flag a tad to get out the door to get on the arena field. And I certainly remember in nineteen sixty eight when George Foreman won the heavyweight uh, gold medal in the Olympics, when he stood up in, in the ring and when the American flag went up, he pulled a little American flag out of his trunks and stood there with tears streaming Aww. down his face. Well, yeah. I am thankful you were able to share that. They're being raised in the military as, as a kid. Um, I love the memories I have of living on base or even off base. But when, as soon as uh, um, in the morning and in the evening, they would when they raised the flag and when they lowered the flag, I remember it didn't matter where you were on base, you faced wherever the flag was and you stood at attention and, you know, with your hand over your heart as they played our national anthem, the Star Spangled Banner, as they raised it and lowered it. And I, I rem- that feeling of respect and seeing everyone respect that flag, even in the movie theater before they would play a movie on base um, in the, the base movie theater they would start with a movie screen, a picture of the flag waving and would play the national anthem and we would all stand. And if you were in the military, you would take your, your hat off. No, wait, you salute, you salute. Right. Um, and of course, as a civilian, um, yes, you'd, um, if you had a baseball hat on, if you're a civilian, you would take it off, you know, a cowboy hat or whatever. Um, military, you leave it on and salute. And then I would place my hand over my heart. And I just, oh, I love that. There's such a spirit with that. Um, and, and I think it's really awesome to have pride in being American and living in America because there is so much for us to be grateful for, and especially our military who've sacrificed everything so that we could, for instance, even have this opportunity to do this radio show, that we have freedom of speech, where we could share these awesome stories with America. So, Letty, tell us the story, if you would. What is the story behind the Star Spangled Banner? How did we get to the place where that became our national anthem? Well, it started way back in 1812, about the time you were born, Arch. Well, that, I was three years old in 1812. <laughs> so um, in 1812, that's 25 years after America's Constitution was written. And Congress declared war against Great Britain again. We did it for the Revolutionary War, the War of Independence in 1776. And we did it again in 1812 because those doggone Great Britain people were interfering with our international trade and they were actually forcing Americans, they capture Americans at sea on ships and force them to serve in the British Navy. Well, that's not what we call freedom. So so we said as enough is enough and declared war against Great Britain. And uh, a few years later in 1814, the British came and invaded and captured Washington, D.C. And they set fire to so many of the public 
public buildings there in D.C., including the Capitol and including what was called the President's Mansion. We call it the White House today. Um, they set fire to that. I remember a fun story of, uh, was it Dolly Madison who hurried at the time because James Madison was the president at the time. And when Dolly caught word that the British were getting closer to the White House, she had her servants take down that picture of George Washington off the wall. They just ripped it off the wall so they could preserve that. So anyway, the flames were so high, so so many flames, so high that you could see them 40 miles away in Baltimore. And what is really cool when I was researching the story is there was a huge thunderstorm and even a tornado that was accompanied by torrential rains that took place that dampened the fires and actually kept them from spreading and doing more damage. It kind of freaked the British soldiers out to, to be a part of such a huge storm and, and a tornado. I don't know if they get those in, in England, but um, we had one in D.C. at that time. And so they fled and started preparing for a land and a sea assault on Baltimore, which at the time was America's largest city. So that starts it. That starts the story. So just to remind our listeners, the British captured Washington, D.C. during the War of 1812 and burned the Capitol and tried to burn the White House or the president's house at the time. Yep, absolutely. And so it's during this setting where you have a respected young lawyer. His name is Francis Scott Key. And there was a really awesome doctor in the town um, close to D.C. And his name was Dr. William Beans. And the British actually captured him. He was the, uh, the town physician and a patriot. He was captured by the British and he was being held prisoner on a British flagship. And Francis Scott Key went to President James Madison saying, hey, do I have permission to fly a white flag of truce in the Chesapeake Bay while I try to find where Dr. Beans is on, on these all these enemy ships here? Can I try to find him and uh, try to secure his release um, from being a prisoner? And President Madison granted him that permission. And so if you can imagine, or this is what I imagine, I imagine Francis Scott Key in this little boat with he was accompanied by Colonel John Skinner which was good you know I would want to have a buddy with me too in this little boat in the Chesapeake Bay which is huge among all these British warships and they're flying the little white flag of truce and probably yelling up to the decks of these ships that they're passing by hey do you have a Colonel um, not Colonel a Dr. William Beans on board and uh, finally they found uh, the ship that was holding Dr. William Beans captive, and they were able to secure his release. But here's the here's the catcher: the British, since they're planning an assault on Baltimore, well, Fort McHenry, they're planning an assault on Fort McHenry in the Chesapeake Bay. They thought, you know what, we'll let you take Dr. William Beans, but you three, Colonel Skinner, Francis Scott Key, and Dr. Beans, have to stay here on this ship and watch us, in essence, destroy, annihilate Fort McHenry. We don't want to let you go because you might leak out our plans. So we're going to keep you here and you can witness us wipe out Fort McHenry. So that's the reason why those three, in particular, Francis Scott Key, were able 
able to witness the bombing of Fort McHenry, which started on September 13th at 6.30 in the morning. They started bombing Fort McHenry. And so these three witnessed all the cannons firing the bombshells uh, that would sometimes they would explode too soon in the sky. And then the shrapnel, the flaming shrapnel would fall down. Um, they witnessed the British firing rockets at Fort McHenry and they they would shriek. You know, I, I, it reminds me of kind of the 4th of July or Independence yeah. Day when you hear those those rocket fireworks going off. They, they do make a horrendous shrieking noise. Um, and they'd go through the air and at night, okay, so it started in the morning. It went all day. You can imagine all the smoke and that acrid smell. I, I, I can see it and smell it because every Independence Day, that's what you smell, especially if you've been in a, what, watching a fireworks show that was really a lot of fireworks. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yes. To smell that gunpowder in the air. Sure. Yeah. Yes. So that's what they were smelling and experiencing. And at night when the rockets would go through the sky, it, they'd leave trails of fiery red glare uh, as they arched through the sky and then they burst into flame wherever they struck. So this is what they were seeing. Eventually, the noise and the, the smell and the smoke was so much that it forced Francis Scott Key and Colonel Skinner to seek shelter below the deck of the ship. And from that limited vantage point, uh, you can only imagine what they were thinking as they try to probably look through a small window to uh, to see our, you know, is our flag still there waving over Fort McHenry or is it not? Because that was the, that was the sign to them whether the Americans were still succeeding in, in protecting ourselves from the British um, is to see that flag there because if the British were successful in invading Fort McHenry and winning that war, they would obviously take down our American flag and put their flag up. So it was really important for Colonel Skinner and Francis Scott Key to be able to keep watching to see, okay, is our flag still waving or is it not? And you can imagine during the rainstorm, there's a rainstorm too during this period of time. So you can imagine, you know, a flash of lightning. Okay, now we can see the flag because it's nighttime and then no lightning and that's dark and now you can't see the flag or a bomb exploding. Okay, now we can see the flag because of the burst of flame illuminating it. And now we can't. Um, I can only imagine their suspense of, of always watching this scene, you know, is it still our flag? So finally, the British, by the next morning, so they had been pretty close to a 24-hour bombardment, the British gave up hope of taking the city, and the British commander ordered an end to the bombardment. So you can imagine what they're thinking now, Colonel Skinner and Francis Scott Key. What, what does that silence mean? Dun, 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 dun. Does it mean, you know, they won, or did we win? What's happening? And so the awesome part of the story is they wanted a sign that our city and our nation had been saved. And so as they're looking, craning their necks or whatever they were doing to try to get a, uh, a good um, vantage point to see if our flag was still raising um, and wondering, is there a flag of surrender or is it our own stars and stripes? They saw in the morning, in the morning sun, they could see our flag proudly waving 
waving over the fort from their ship. And their ship was anchored eight miles down the river. So they put up a huge flag at Fort McHenry so that it could wave proudly over the fort and so that everyone could see the Americans that we had won. We succeeded in protecting our nation um, from uh, the invasion of the British. And so he was so relieved and inspired by that sight of our flag still waving that Francis Scott Key captured his feelings of joy and gratitude on the back of a letter that he had in his pocket. And in 1931, the words of his poem, um, because it was a poem originally, uh, became our official national anthem, the Star Spangled Banner. There you go, folks. Now you know everything. And Lydia, I'm I'm reminded that one of the most famous pictures of World War II was when our Marines lifted up the American flag on Mount top of Mount Subiachi. I remember that. And most people don't know that that's actually the picture is actually the second flag that was raised. The reason is because the commanding officer, when he came ashore, saw that smaller American flag and he said, "That flag is not big enough. We need to show this whole island that it's." now occupied by the United States of America. So we had sent up the Marines to put up a larger flag to replace a smaller flag on top of Mount Subiachi. Yeah, that's very similar to the Star Spangled Banner story because, yeah, they first had a storm flag flying over Fort McHenry during the storm, Mm -hmm. a smaller flag, and then at the end they raised the the bigger flag. And I think I said I remember that story that you're telling me about the Marines raising a flag. I don't remember it. I I wasn't alive during the time but i remember the story one more question because we who love sports there's a lot of professional sports in canada and also the united states and when the national anthems are played what is the protocol for the athletes from both countries to do while their national anthem is being played well i know for the canadians they stand with pride and honor of their country when O Canada, their national anthem is being played. And for us, although there's no legal requirement in the United States to do this, it is common practice that, and a sign of respect that when the the Star Spangled Banner is being played, that individuals stand and put their right hand or their hat over their heart and face the flag. And like I said, that's my memory when I was growing up. That's what we did on base, on our military bases. And Lydia, do not the athletes, they, they respect the other players' national anthem and also stand for their national anthem and, yes. and vice versa to show respect for each other's nation. Yes, absolutely. And like I said, when I lived in Canada and when I lived in Germany, that's what we did. When they played their national anthem, we stood in respect. I think that's important. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Isn't there a song? Yes. <laughs> about that? So yeah, that, um, that, that is a fascinating story about Francis Scott Key and how we got the Star Spangled Banner from Fort McHenry. So I want to leave our listeners with one question on top of every an official flagpole is a golden ball and there are three objects that are inside of that golden ball what are they so that's something, I didn't, that is I didn't even ponder, know that is something to ponder for our next program that we can discuss so, <laughs> okay thank absolutely. you so much that's a fascinating story about how we got our national anthem so we want to invite everyone from 8 to 108 please join us we the kids radio show and to hear more forgotten stories and learn the principles of freedom so that we can all preserve freedom and something to ponder within that with also with the golden ball is what do we do to show respect for a national anthem when we hear it being played 
And we also want to invite you to check out the We the Kids website. It's wethekids.us for additional stories, insights, and activities that you can do with your kids to help them be proud to be American and to love and defend America's Constitution. So thank you so much for supporting We the Kids. And now we get to see what those Liberty Kid players are up to. Hey, it's time for Billy Eagle and Colonel John. Hi, Colonel. It's very nice to see you. Well, Billy Eagle, it sure is nice to see you. I have a question, Colonel. Sure, Billy. What's your question? The other day, when I was at the nest, my mother and father were talking about rights. My mother said it wasn't about flying around in circles and that I should ask you what rights are. So what are rights? That is a good question. And for someone like your mother, flying around in circles might be one of her rights. That wouldn't be one of my rights because I don't do that very well. Sometimes when we talk about rights, we mean privileges. For example, your parents maybe let you stay out till 8 o'clock at night, and that's a privilege they give you. That's not a right you have, and it's a privilege that they can take away if they want to, especially if you abuse that privilege by doing things during that time when you're not supposed to or you don't come back when you're expected to. And then there are some privileges that come from the government, privileges like driving on the highways. You probably have a law in your town that people can drive on the streets in town up to 30 miles an hour and 55 miles an hour on the highways, or it's a privilege that the government could take away. They could revoke your license to drive if you are misusing it. It's time for the Liberty Players! License and registration, please. What did I do? I clocked you traveling 100 miles per hour in a 15 mile per hour zone. Owie, Judge, you threw a book at me. Yes, I did. Now give me your driver's license. Aww. The rights that we commonly talk about as American citizens don't come from parents and don't come from government. They come from God. We decided to separate from England and become an independent country, the United States of America. As we separated, Thomas Jefferson wrote in the Declaration of Independence that we are entitled to our independence by the laws of nature and of nature's God. And he went on to say that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that is, apparent to everybody, that all men are created equal. Notice he didn't say we're evolved equal, he said we are created equal, and that we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights. Now, there's some big words there. That means that the rights that we have are not given by government. They're given by the Creator, God. And that's why he says they are unalienable, that is, they can't be taken away. If rights come from government, government can take them away. It's time for the Liberty Players! Please, Your Majesty, we're very hungry. I grant you the right to make and eat a sandwich. Yeah! Woohoo! Thank you, sir. You are very generous and kind. That sandwich you made does look good. Give it to me. But, sir, you granted me the right to make and eat the sandwich. I take it back, then. What? You can't do that. Why, yes, yes, I can. I am the king. Ah. If rights come from government, government can take them away. They're not inalienable rights at all, then. They're simply negotiable privileges. The state gives it, and the state can take it away. 
But if our rights come from a higher source than government, they can't be taken away by government. Our founders recognize that our rights come from a higher source than government. That source, of course, is God himself. And so, when we read in the Declaration, then, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, what the framers meant by this was that government doesn't grant rights. Government merely secures or protects the rights that God has already granted. Our Declaration of Independence sets forth those rights. It says among these are the right to life. They can't take away your right to life, your right to liberty. They can't take away your freedom or your right to pursuit of happiness. That doesn't mean the right to be happy, but the right to take measures to try to procure happiness, like working, saving, buying, things like this. Okay, Billy, so does that help you see what rights are? It sure does, Colonel, from a mile away. Thanks for clearing that up. From a mile away with an eagle eye. Well, any time, Billy Eagle, let's do it again. Speaking of time, I gotta fly. Bye, Colonel, and thanks. Bye, Billy Eagle. We want to invite everyone from 8 to 108 to listen and please join us on We The Kids radio show and to hear more forgotten stories. Learn the principles of freedom that established unprecedented freedom in America so that we can all, whether we're 8 or 108, preserve our freedom. Music.